It's March 7th, 2011, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. I've been delayed in getting the show out. There have been a lot of things happening. I have a book coming out next month called Chasing the Light, Improving Your Photography with Available Light. And I'll probably be talking a little bit about that in the next episode. But it's already available in a variety of online bookstores, including Amazon.com. So if you're curious about it, you can click on the link on the website to find out more. Uh, Also, I have some life changes happening, which I'm probably going to discuss uh, soon as well, or you can follow me on the blog uh, at uh, thecandidframe.com. But today's guest is Ralph Velasco, and he's a photographer uh, who specializes in travel photography. He conducts a lot of tours, not only in the United States, but all over the world. And uh, he's one of those photographers who had a passion for photography, but he didn't want to just follow a path where he was just doing commercial editorial work. He wanted to combine his passion for traveling with his photography, and so he created a way to do both. And that way includes him traveling to these countries and taking along photographers and getting to explore and discover a place using a camera. So... I thought he would be a great person to have on the show to discuss his own personal journey in making this his photographic life. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Ralph Velasco. Well, Ralph, welcome to the Candid Frame. I'm I'm glad we finally found some time in our our busy respective schedules to to hook up and then start talking about you and your work. So welcome. Great. Thanks for having me. It's uh, really nice to be here. Well, as a as a travel photographer, I think you are you're living the dream that that many people would love to to live themselves in terms of, you know, being able to travel all these exotic locations and and, and make images. How did you come to the decision that this is what you wanted to do and and decide that you know I'm gonna you know do my damnedest to to make it happen because a lot of people don't don't make that leap. Right. Well, I've always been a traveler since I was uh, in my mid-teens. I've been traveling to Europe and South America and quite a few locations around the world and literally around the world. When I was 24, I uh, sold my first restaurant and I said, before I do anything else, I'm going to uh, travel around the world. And so I bought a, a ticket and visited something like 15 countries on four continents over five months uh, traveling by myself. And so, of course, I photographed all those trips. And so I've always had an interest in other cultures and just seeing what life's like outside of the U.S. Of course, I, I love living in the U.S. and being from this country, but I just really enjoy getting out and seeing what other cultures live like and to record that with photography. And so I said it all along, I'd wanted to figure out a way to make this a profession for myself, but it was uh, certainly a lot more difficult 30 years ago when we were in the, the film age and it was about wanting to become a national geographic photographer, just like everyone else 
very difficult to break into, but certainly with the digital age, it's a lot easier. And so I started teaching classes at some local community colleges. And uh, as you know, I work with Calumet Photo. They're a high-end camera store chain throughout the United States and in Europe. And so we have a really great partnership that we do a lot of classes together and some uh, wonderful trips to Death Valley and Joshua Tree. And uh, I've got a great walking tour over the Golden Gate Bridge that I do with them uh, two or three times a year. So it's really been a great partnership. And uh, But to answer your question, really the digital age is what allowed me to come up with the slideshows and the presentations and the keynotes and things like that that uh, all work together to be able to present your photography and websites, things like that. It's just so much easier to market now and the uh, the audience is a lot bigger as well. So when you were training your own self as a as as a photographer, refining your eye, what was the process that you you learned how to develop your sensibility in terms of how you look at a scene, how you photograph it, and how you make use of your camera? Were you uh, taking workshops yourself? Were you reading from books? Were you taking classes? How did you sort of develop your own approach to photography? You know, a lot of it was organic, just sort of getting out there and shooting. I've taken a few uh, one-day seminars here and there. I don't know if I've ever actually taken any multi-day seminars. Uh, um, I, I did take a black-and-white developing class in about the year 2000. Uh, that was a film class, of course. But it's really just been a lot of being self-taught, reading books, researching things on the Internet, seeing what other photographers are doing. I think there's a lot to be said about being born with, with a photographic eye, but I definitely think it's something that can be learned. And so I, I know that there are some people that get discouraged. They, they don't feel that they have quite the, you know, the eye that they want, and sometimes they think that they can't learn it, but I definitely think it can be learned. Let, let's talk about that, developing that eye, especially with respect to travel photography. I think a lot of people take take these trips and they're really passionate about photography and they go out on these on these locations hoping to just bring back, you know, these, these beautiful photographs, but are oftentimes disappointed. What, what are some of the things that, you know, they're not doing or, or should be doing to help increase their chances that they're going to come home with, with photographs that they're that both document their experience, but also are successful photographs in their own right. Well, I have one tip that I try to instill in my students, especially when I do my photo walking tours and we're actually out in the field, but that's just to spend an extra three to five seconds looking through that viewfinder, micro composing the scene before you actually push that shutter release. And what that does is, uh, with digital photography, it's a wonderful medium. Once you've made the investment in the camera gear and things, it's, it's a relatively inexpensive uh, hobby. But it also lets us just take a lot of pictures. And so that three to five second rule that I have does two things. First of all, it, it slows you down. 
So you're micro-composing the scene, making sure that a tree branch isn't sticking in or you've got a shadow that you don't want there or someone walked into the scene. But it also increases the number of keeper images. So you take less pictures, but you get more keepers. And so that's what I've been trying to do, uh, instill in people. And I think that's one thing that immediately makes their photography go to another level. And that seems so antithetical because you're thinking I'm only going to be in this location for maybe once in my entire life and I need to create as many images as I can just to, to, to make sure that I get something. So it seems like, you know, completely opposite what most people think they should do and what a lot, and what a lot of people do do. Well, yeah, that uh, talks about the sort of run-and-gun approach and let's just put the camera on continuous and I'm sure we'll catch something. But first of all, I don't want to spend the whole day just looking through a viewfinder. I, I want to experience the place personally as well. But also, if, uh, if people slow down and take less pictures but get more keepers, they're going to uh, really have captured a place much better. And one of the things that, uh, that, I, that I talk about is that um, with that run-and-gun approach, it's just like throwing stuff against the wall and hoping that something sticks. But I'm often asked when we're on these walking tours, Ralph, I'm looking at the scene, how would you shoot this scene? And typically people want to just take that one sort of landscape overall shot of it. But I say I'd probably take 10 or 12 different shots of this or viewpoints of this. Certainly a horizontal and a vertical. I'll take the wide overall establishing shot, then I'll look for mediums and details. So there's almost an infinite amount of opportunities within the same scene. And so the more you can do that, it gives yourself options so that you don't just have one picture to choose from. Now you've got a variety of 12. And I think that allows people to really be able to capture the overall essence of a place. What's, what's a good place to start? Because I can imagine that, you know, you look at a scene, say maybe it's an old cathedral or an old church in this in this town square, and you can, and you go, wow, it's so overwhelming visually because of the color, the lights, the, the people on the street, and people get intimidated. They go, well, where do I, where do I start? So where, where do they start? So they can start shaping informed compositions of these scenes rather than just, you know, making a horizontal and a vertical, but not really making an effective photograph? Yeah, great question. And it gets even more overwhelming when you land in a new city and you feel like you want to capture the essence of a city. Uh, cathedrals are generally a, a very big subject as well, but now it's a matter of, you have to break it down. You have to think about, and, and I tend to sort of walk around the scene, look for uh, the best angles, what the best lighting conditions are. If I want people in the shot, where are people congregating or at least the type of people that I want in my shots, but sort of getting a feel for the place before actually even uh, taking the first picture. So, but you have to break it down. Otherwise you will be overwhelmed. And, and that can be a daunting feeling that uh, I've had myself. Absolutely. One of the things I like to do when I'm traveling is just roaming around. Um, you know, there's there's a temptation when you go with a group to just stay like in one particular spot, you know, for safety and security. But, 
you know, I I like the idea of wandering aimlessly because <laughs> I find that that the, just the process of walking and just looking, not not necessarily with the intent of hunting for photographs, but just the, the meditative practice of just walking and observing provides me opportunities to shoot that um, that I typically not I might not uh, have. Does, do you have a similar experience, especially when you're traveling alone? Absolutely. I think that's a great point that if you sort of blend into the scene, walk around and become a part of it, I think you'll look at things differently and see things differently than you might if you go in there with the the number one focus being, okay, I need to photograph this place or I need to get pictures. And so I think that's a great point. And I, and I definitely do that sometimes consciously, sometimes um, I just do it because I, I, you know, I set myself up to do that, but that's a great way to put it. Where, where do you stand on, on tipping people for making their photographs? There, there are certain photographers that you know will do that on occasion and others that are completely adverse to, to doing it and think it's the wrong thing to do. Um, what's your feeling about that? You know, that's a really controversial issue, as you say. Uh, I am not opposed to giving a small tip to some people, especially if they're a vendor, some sort of a vendor, as in uh, Cuba, where you've got these wonderfully dressed women with these huge cigars in their mouths, and they're a vendor. So I don't think it's appropriate to take their picture and not tip them. Uh, But, you know, there's the controversy that you're ruining it for other photographers that are coming behind you. I really don't know what the answer is. I think for probably the $10 total that I spent on tipping people in Cuba, I got some wonderful photo opportunities. I helped out those people a little bit, and I don't think I ruined it for the photographers that came after me. So that's sort of my take on it. Yeah, I kind of am on the same lines. I mean, if I see like a, a performer there, or someone who's present there and they're very colorful and they're there to be seen and be photographed, I think it's it's very fair and appropriate to, you know, tip them um, to make a photograph because that's how they're making their living. It's really quite clear. Right. And I think that's not an opportunity to sneak a photograph. And if you're going and you see some, like a vendor who is particularly interesting, you really like the photograph, you know, buying something from them, uh, I think is a fair exchange. Absolutely. That's a very good point. I, one of the things I've read you talk about is photographing the small details, like, you know, the, the taking pictures of the food that you eat while you're traveling and, and little things like that. T- talk about some of the less obvious things that people don't photograph, but you think that they should do really tell the full story of their, of their journey and their travel. Right. I think as photographers, we tend to have a certain interest in certain types of photography, whether it's landscapes or architecture or people. And that's great. That should definitely be a part of anyone's shot list that's going out there to photograph and really capture the essence of a place. But what differentiates a portfolio, in my mind, is the details and looking for the finer points that that make up the story as well because in my mind most photographers are getting those landscapes and the obvious architectural shots and they want the people 
but getting in on the details is what's going to differentiate uh, one's photography from uh, sort of the standard portfolio that you might see of a place. So I like to uh, look at the hands of the people, the vendors selling their wares. Maybe it's something that's very typical to a place, uh, like these little uh, plastic pyramids and uh, icons of King Tut that we were told were probably made in China, but having this very uh, weathered set of hands uh, rearranging them or something, that's something that tells a, a real intimate story of the place, very iconic, and you, you sort of immediately know where the place is that that's being photographed. So I think the the way to differentiate oneself is to get in on those medium and certainly the detail shots of any uh, place or subject that one is photographing. You know, um, I know that you work pretty light, and but I think it's an important point to kind of discuss how much equipment do you take? Because I know a lot of listeners on the show own a good deal of, of, of equipment, probably more than, you know, just one lens and one camera. And part of the fear and when you're traveling is not taking enough but you know how much is enough how much consideration do people need to take in terms of not only what they're going to take in terms of shooting but the practicality of working in a foreign in a foreign land making pictures and 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 carrying all that equipment yeah i work extremely light and i will typically go out with a single camera body and a single lens and I do have a backup uh, back at the hotel in case something goes wrong with that body or lens. But I am not someone that's carrying around a backpack full of three or four lenses, two or three bodies, all kinds of filters, etc. I need to be light on my feet and to be able to get in and out of places. I don't want to look like a professional photographer when I'm out there. I don't have the the beige vest with 30 pockets and two cameras hanging around my neck. I just want to look like an average Joe. And I'll often just hide my camera inside my jacket and pull it out when I want to shoot. I think that's going to get you the more candid shots anyway. But being light, and especially nowadays with the airlines and all their travel restrictions and weight limits and things like that, I, I tr for every one of my tours, when I set my uh, participants up for the tour a couple weeks in advance, I say it's not about who's got the most gear or the best gear. It's about who knows how to use the equipment that they do have. And so be light on your feet. And I think you may miss some photo opportunities where you wish you had a certain lens or some other accessory. But I think it opens you up to more photo opportunities to travel lightweight. Like I don't bring a tripod. I use a gorilla pod or maybe a beanbag. It there's times when I wish I had a standard tripod, but I think that eighty percent of the time a gorilla pod or something like that does the job. And so twenty percent of the time I wish I had a tripod, but I like to think that that gorilla pod and that flexibility allows me to get at least another 20% of shots that I wouldn't have been able to with a standard tripod. So it works itself out. What do you find that 
when you teach a workshop and you have a group of, of people together, what I, I think part of part of the benefit is the fact that you know you're traveling with other people who are also photographers, which makes life so much easier because you're able to linger in locations rather than having to rush off to the to the next you know to the next event or the next location. What what do you think is the other than that? What do you think is the benefit of traveling with other photographers? Well, um, I know it's semantics, but I never use the word workshops when I talk about my tours. I, I like to call them cultural tours. Uh, workshop is it's got that four-letter word in it, work. And I try to provide an overall cultural experience for my participants, especially on my multi-day tours, whether it's to Chicago or Egypt or Cuba. Let's go out and try the food. Let's go out and listen to the music. We're going to bring our cameras, but it's not a workshop in, uh, where we're shooting 12 hours a day, we're downloading, we're doing all sorts of things 12 hours a day. Even I don't want to do that. So I just wanted to clarify that. But as far as uh, being out with photographers, I just think photographers are good people. I have never had a problem with anyone uh, they're just out there to learn. They want to be able to photograph a place and be able to bring back better images. Uh, I don't have all advanced photographers in my tours. That's for sure. I work with beginners and intermediates as well. And there are people that maybe want to bring a spouse along that's not interested in photography. So I try to give plenty of free time for people to explore a place on their own and for that spouse to be able to do what they want to do, even with the uh, photographer uh, partner. So uh, I, I say it every time I get together with a group of photographers, that photographers are just good people. And it, it's just wonderful to be in that environment where people are having fun, they're interested. I mean, I, there are so many other professions that I could be in that are uh, not as fun and uh, don't have as interesting people from all walks of life. Yeah. I know one of the questions you're often asked is what you, what's your favorite place to visit? But uh, my question to you rather is what makes those best experiences so memorable to you? What was the qualities that, that you remember of your experience of your experience in some of these destinations that made them such a magical time for you? Well, I, I always say that so far, Cuba is my favorite place that I've ever photographed. Uh, and that's because of the people. It's those experiences that you get with people when you're photographing them or in their environments. Uh, I often tell the story of when one of my students and I were out shooting in the streets of Havana. And of course, there's these wonderful classic American cars that are just iconic to Cuba. Uh, they're from the 40s and 50s. And so we were shooting this one car outside of, uh, just down one of the streets, and this woman comes up to her, her uh, iron-barred window and hears us speaking English outside her door, outside her home. And so she starts talking to us, and I speak Spanish, so I was able to, to have a, a full conversation with her. And she told us that she used to be a prima ballerina in Havana 
in the 40s and 50s when that city was sort of the epicenter of uh, the world, really. Uh, the, certainly the casinos and things like that. And she went back to the, the wall on, in her apartment and grabbed this old yellow newspaper article and showed it to us. And it was a picture of her at 15 dancing in one of these clubs. And that, to me, is such a wonderful travel moment. It really had nothing to do with photography, other than that was why we were there and sort of the impetus to her uh, hearing us outside her door. But it's the people, uh, at least in that place. But then if you ask me where sort of my favorite place to travel is, it's Montenegro, uh, the country of Montenegro on the Adriatic Sea near Croatia and Albania, Serbia. And so that was more about the overall experience. So it was the food and the culture and the, the people, the architecture, the landscape. All those things became a part of that. But it, it generally it will come back to, to the experiences that you'll have with people. And you know, if people are going out there and they're not going out in a, in a photographic excursion, and they're going out maybe say with their with their family. What kind of research do they need to do to find out? You know, what opportunities they may have that are more revolving around the photographs they can make? Because I know it's one thing you go to, you know, you go to London or Paris or something like that, and you think about all the, you know typical destinations like the Eiffel Tower and such. But, you know, when it comes to making photographs, those locations may not necessarily be the best for, you know, for creating really memorable, memorable photographs. Where do people start in terms of researching where they can find those locations? Well, I often suggest going to uh, GettyImages.com or Corbis or even Flickr and putting in the keywords of the place that you're going to. So uh, let's say Havana, people, nighttime, and see what the professionals uh, on those stock photo agency websites are shooting in those places. And that will give you ideas. Now, the idea is not to to uh, copy what they're doing, but just to get ideas and try to emulate and put your own spin on things. So I think that's a great place to start. Uh, I, I often suggest, and I, and I do it myself, is contacting the tourist board or the, the travel department of a of country or place that you're going to, having them send you the brochures. Now you know it's going to be all the the most wonderful photography that they could that they could get because they're marketing that place to travelers. But again, it's about sort of trying to get ideas and then putting your own spin on it, not copying those things, looking at postcard racks and local books and things like that, but also talking to people that have been to a place. That's, uh, uh, you know, some of those other suggestions are great for the iconic shots like like the Eiffel Tower or Big Ben, uh, but getting into the back roads is talking to other photographers maybe who live in a place and have local knowledge and can let you know you know, yeah, great. Get all those iconic shots, the postcard shots, but you got to check out this neighborhood or go to this pub or do this thing and uh, or, or get this vantage point. I think that's where you're going to get that information that's uh, going to make your photography 
really unique. And so that's one of the wonderful things about the about the internet and this whole idea of being able to converse with people from around the world is that that information is out there and you could just Google photographers in London and probably just send someone an email say I'm coming to your to your location uh, you know, coming to, coming to your city yeah, you got a couple quick bullet points of things that I can't miss that are beyond the uh, the tourist traps what are some good online resources that people can go to because I know when if you're traveling internationally you may be you know, on flights where they have uh, weight restrictions or, or, or you know, carry-on restrictions and stuff like that. Where where can people, you know, find information about, about you know, their destinations that are really going to be important for photographers to know and be aware of? Well, uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you, I don't know of any specific websites. I kind of just Google things as a trip is coming up and I'm starting to do my research, I'll try to, uh, like I said, Google photographers in a, lo- in a particular location and see what comes up. But I don't know of any particular websites at this point, and I'd be interested myself to find out because if for the past five years, I've always thought that there should be a community of photographers, and it might be out there, uh, that if you're coming to my location, I help you get shots in my area because I know I have the local knowledge and then when I'm going to yours or some other place there's another photographer there but I think those that, those local photographers because they're people that are interested in the same thing you are uh, if someone were coming to Southern California I think I'd be a great resource for them I mean even just looking on my website and seeing some of the places that I go to getting out on a tour with me but if even if you don't want to do that looking at the places that I've shot so I think uh, just other photographers are going to be a great resource for that type of thing. Well, one resource that you're uh, going to be providing is a iPhone slash iPad app. Um, from what I've seen so far, it looks like it's going to be a great tool for people who are traveling and want to make sure you know they capture you know every possible nuance of the trip. But why don't you tell us about you know the idea behind that app and and what it does? Absolutely. Uh, it's called My Shot Lists for Travel. And I teach a class called Capturing the Essence of a Place. And the idea is that I want to get across to people the importance of working from a shot list. And having a shot list is a, a basic and fundamental uh, principle of photography. So it's, it's having a framework, an idea of what you want to shoot when you get to a place. And I mentioned it before, but as photographers, we tend to have a particular interest. Maybe it's people or architecture or landscapes. But getting beyond that, so stepping out of our comfort zone and looking for other types of, of photo opportunities as well. So uh, details, color. Uh, there's I, I've come up with over 50 categories. So each of these is a category of a shot list. And so the My Shot List for Travel iPhone app and it's, you can get it on the iPad, but it's not completely compatible. It hasn't been released for the iPad yet. But the idea behind it is to have this checklist so that you can sort of step out of your comfort zone and get beyond those shots that are easy for you to get. And it, makes, it forces you to think of other categories. And so uh, we, a lot of people come back with slideshows or 
books that they'll put together and it will be just 300 pictures of landscapes or 300 pictures of people or children, whatever it is. But in order to keep your viewers interest, you sort of need to vary what you're presenting to them. So it's, it's interiors, night scenes, food, drink, uh, icons, landmarks, things like that, so that you're varying the types of images that you're showing to people and not forcing them to sit through 300 of the same type of image. Uh, if you look at any travel magazine article, the photo editor will, uh, will want to choose images from the photographer that tell a whole story. So create a cultural portrait of a place. So they will have all these varying types of images, unless it's a, an article specifically on the food of Paris, uh, then it's going to have more of those types of images. So that's the idea behind it, is to uh, come back with a well-rounded portfolio of images that really gives your viewer a sense of the place that you went to. And we've incorporated uh, uh, the capability to use the camera's internal camera to use the, the device's internal camera capabilities. So you can take images from within the app. You can also reach into your camera roll or uh, albums that are already on your phone and put those pictures into categories. So creating a, a visual list, you can add notes to each category, shot list, uh, each image individually. There's a challenge me function that allows people to uh, shake the device or hit the challenge me button, and it brings up a category that is maybe out of your comfort zone. And so the idea is to think about that category for that day or that week. So testing your creative vision. That sounds exciting. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. uh, appreciate that. And uh, so... Uh, this one's for travel because I am a travel photographer, but uh, it's available at the at the iTunes or the App Store, and it's it's just ninety nine cents. But uh, I really it was a it was something that I wanted to to use myself and that I knew I could use myself, and it wasn't out there. So I said, let's create it. And originally, I was approached by a couple developers to turn my book into an app. And I just didn't think that that was the best idea right now because there's a lot of apps out there, sort of how-to photography. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was a really crowded field with some very big names that have their apps out there. And so why try to compete in that? And really in passing, when we were about to hang up the phone and kind of go back to the drawing board, I said, you know, what about this idea? It seems like the, the iPhone and that whole... Uh, Apple Store uh, interface just is perfect for this type of a uh, of a of an app. That's it's a checklist. It's got sample images, a little description of what each category means. So I think it's yeah, I think especially for the for the for the price, uh, it's it's a no brainer. I think that especially for people who aspire to you know be the kind of photographers whose magazines whose pictures get published in the magazine just the fact that you have that reference to be able to help you to tell a full story is just in, is indispensable that's a that's a valuable tool to have right in your pocket well thank you and uh one thing i didn't mention and one of the the huge benefits of it is that you can create your own custom shot lists so it comes with this 
what we call the all categories list, and there's 52 categories. But then I have uh, four different suggested shot lists. So if you're shooting in a city, these are my categories that I suggest for it. Uh, whether you're on safari at a national park or in a small town or village, I've got suggested shot lists. So it might be just 19 or 20 categories for those. But you can also start from the full 52 categories, create your own shot list, name it Berlin, let's say, and then just delete the categories that you don't think need to be in Berlin. Or you could start with an empty list and add quite a categories to it. So choose from the 52 and decide which categories you want to add to it. Or more appropriately, start with the city suggested shot list and then add or delete from it and just rename it Berlin. So it, you can create virtually a, an infinite amount of, of shot lists for any place. Well, that sounds exciting. I'm looking forward to playing with it. Great. Are, are you an iPhone user yourself? Yeah. yeah oh, so. wonderful. We'll have to get you a copy. So... The last question I always ask is I ask photographers to recommend or suggest another photographer for them to discover and explore. So, And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or, or someone you've discovered recently. So who would that be for you and why? Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a tall question because there are so many great photographers out there. But one that really stands out for me is Gordon Parks. Just a wonderful American photographer who had so many talents. I mean, between his photography and uh, he directed the film Shaft, uh, he was a poet, is into music and books. I mean, he was just talk about the, the complete package. And I saw one of his, uh, a documentary on him called Half Past Autumn. Are you familiar with that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Wow. What, I mean, you just see the photos that he's taken over his lifetime, and it's some of the most iconic photos out there that we've all seen. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what magazines he was in, but sort of life and, and look magazine type photos, black and white, uh, civil rights, things like that. Just amazing photography. So I highly recommend uh, looking at his work. Yeah, he's a wonderful recommendation. Um yeah, I, I'm a big fan of his work and was lucky enough to have a chance to meet him in his apartment in New York several wow. years back. So I consider myself very lucky in that respect. But Absolutely. Oh, wonderful recommendation. Right. But thank you so much, Ralph. It was, it was a pleasure and uh, a real treat to have you on the show and talk about all the work that you're doing. Where can people find out more about your photography, your workshops, and all, everything else that you're doing? Sure. I've got uh, quite a few websites. I apologize. I'm trying to consolidate everything into sort of one or two uh, main things. But the app uh, can certainly be found on the App Store uh, at, uh, at iTunes. And I have a website for it at myshotlists.com. But my personal work can be found at ralphvelasco.com and also photowalkingtours.com is where you can see all the, the local and more uh, international and uh, multi-day trips that I do. Uh, that Those can be found at photowalkingtours.com. No, thank and you. I'm, oh, go ahead. Excuse me. I was just going to say that I'm also on Twitter uh, at Ralph Velasco and uh, Facebook.com slash Ralph Velasco if anyone would like to uh, find me there. 
Thanks again for joining me. If you have any comments or suggestions, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Flickr. Links to each can be found on the webpage. Till next time, this is Ivarian X Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.